we're going to engage in a bit of time travel today with a flashback into what led to the surprising wins for pro-family conservatives in the Virginia election. Then we're going to flash forward, looking at how those wins could translate into some exciting policy, including a Save Girls sports bill. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, since we mentioned time travel in our opener, that makes me think of a fun little question to get us started today. And you've got to use your imagination for this one, Victoria. If you could make any science fiction phenomenon reality in your life, what would it be and why? <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm not necessarily a science fiction guru, but I, I will say I, I just went and saw the, the movie Spider-Man with my kids over the weekend. And in it, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but but there's this concept of multiverse, right? Where there are these alternate universes all, I got to be honest, and then they transport, people transport back and forth. This isn't a lot of sci-fi shows, but I sit there and think, I think I'd get lost. So I don't know which one I'd need, which which kind of a phenomenon I'd want to have, but I think if I were bouncing between multiverses, I would absolutely completely be lost and I'd be stuck and it would be a problem. So that's what I always think when I see these confusing concepts. <laughs> I mean, there are times when it would be nice and you think, I wish I could just jump to an alternate universe to the one I'm experiencing right at this moment. But yeah, maybe you don't want to get trapped in that forever. I feel like uh. escapism, <laughs> especially if you literally could leave your exact universe, is a problem. So you'd need to have a plan of where you're going and a plan to get back. And I think that's where I'd get a little hung up. Boy, that really speaks to the logic that you use as far as, oh, just alternate universe would be fun. But you actually are thinking about having a plan for that. <laughs> I just know. <laughs> in a shoebox. So I, it's very easy for me to think this would be a bad idea. Well, I'm thinking maybe I would choose teleporting. I just, you know, I have time management struggles and it would be nice if I could teleport right over 95 and just be, you know, in this dimension. I guess that's dimensional travel. I'm not really sure from a techie point of view. Um, Aren't you afraid you'd mess something up, though? I mean, you know, people that travel back in time, would you go in different time periods? Because, you know, people that no, travel back and forth. No, I just want to jump, like, oh, through... Um, spheres, spatial spheres. Because okay. I see the ones where they jump back in time, and then if they mess up one no. thing, the entire fate of the universe changes, and I don't want that in no, mind. No, I'm thinking old school Star Trek, you okay. know, when they just pop on the planet. Oh, yeah. Like, they stand good. in the little teleporter. Yeah, I just <laughs> really beams. need to pop from, like, home to work faster, though. I don't need, like, you know, a whole other planet or... <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to pull Catherine into this, because she's a big sci-fi guru, our producer. Yeah, well, you already took teleportation, um, but that would be my answer. But since you took that, I'm going to go a little bit more realistic, I guess, and just say um, fake gravity. So you like in Star Trek or anything, they're out in space and none of them are floating around on the Starship Enterprise. But that whole concept is actually science fiction in and of itself because there's no way to generate gravity. Um, okay, you just went way right, over right. all of our. <laughs> <laughs> this is the difference between people who watch sci-fi and read sci-fi, right. and the people who don't. Can, can you tell who the real sci-fi person is in this room? All right, real quick. What? When I talk about teleporting, should I be using referring to spatial spheres, or is that like totally the wrong terminology for how that works? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> okay, I feel better. <laughs> all right, well, diving right into today's actual topic in reality. We're going to start with a flashback or quick year in review look at 
What happened with some of the biggest pro-family gains in this year's Virginia election? Specifically, we're going to delve into what was, you know, kind of the story behind those wins. You know, I think it was a pleasant shock or surprise to people. They thought maybe we'd make some gains, but they didn't see this huge sweep coming. Victoria, you've got some interesting thoughts I know on this. Will you share with us your thoughts on kind of the little known story behind this sweep that we saw? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people saw the news and you pipe in at different times, right, during the election cycle. And so I think a lot of people just thought, wow, McAuliffe made this this terrible, uh, you know, outburst on parents. And then it was like that issue organically just, you know, popped up and all of a sudden parents were revved. I, I think people don't really see the whole timeline, which actually starts all the way back to when you have liberals control the General Assembly and they pass policies that are just horrific on parents, which started with the transgender model policy, right? So they pass a terrible policy. And actually that orchestrated things happening all across the state that were actually very planned and intentional on our side to defeat that. And that is actually what juiced up parents. So so what you had is you had a bad policy that every school board was going to have to address. Are we going to allow boys and girls locker rooms and all of those details? They also passed cultural competency training for teachers, which started the CRT conversation in every single school board. And so at the Family Foundation, you know, we actually went and picked out certain school boards to try to help them, give them the courage, equip the parents, set up press conferences for the parents to get their voice out. And it wasn't just in Loudoun County, which is what people think of was happening. And so what happens is you have parents that then are juiced up across the Commonwealth. And then when something like the gaffe in the debate happens or the unfortunate situation where there was a sexual assault in a bathroom in Loudoun, that's when those events pile onto what was already a moving train and kind of tip the, you know how like snowballs roll down, you know, mm-hmm. you know, get the snowball rolling down the hill in a way that causes that long-term momentum. But I just think a lot of people just didn't realize how much was already in motion, behind the scenes, and in lots of places. And the way you can really tell is you look at the election results. Um, Interestingly enough, in the locations where we specifically went in and worked with the parents and got that community really involved in their school board, you saw a tremendous uptick in the amount of... um, and now this is, I'm going to put it in partisan politics because it's the easiest way to explain it. But you saw a tremendous uptick in percentage vote for the candidate that stood for parental rights, which mm-hmm. happened to be the Republican governor candidate in this case. So like out in Russell County, where we ginned up those parents, Southwest Virginia, they went eight percentage points more for the pro-family candidate than they had four years before. And that was true everywhere that we ginned up those parents. And you can see the opposite was also true in places we didn't, like Henrico, for example, that's half asleep. I tell people, I got to figure out how to wake up at my own county because those parents are not at the school board. And guess what? They barely moved the needle for the pro-family candidate from the four years prior. I think that's really fascinating because you've actually looked at the numbers behind this, right? And the numbers are telling that story. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of moms who had previously voted for candidates that we would typically say are not that pro-family, you know, a a President Biden, um, you know, people like that. And this time they voted for the governor candidate because of what was going on in their school board. So when you see those kind of interviews, because there were a lot of after interviews with what they called Biden voters that now went Republican. Like, why? And it was the school board. It was the parents' issues. Well, a couple of follow-up questions on that. Now, you mentioned um, cultural competency training connected to critical race theory. I don't think a lot of people understand those connecting dots. Can you help us understand a little bit more how those two things connected, maybe that people aren't aware of? 
Yeah, I mean, in general terms, if you require your teachers to do certain trainings in order to get their certificate, in order for them to be allowed to be in the classroom, you've put attention on, and this is cultural competency, which sounds good, right? We should all understand every culture, but interpreted wrongly, that's we should we should essentially put race into every classroom is how that ends up playing out. And so um, the fact that this training began people became aware of CRT and then started diving into, the parents actually started diving into, well, how are the teachers trained? What is in the curriculum? What is, and that whole thing put together was really powerful for parents. So people may not be aware of that this, a lot of these doors that were opening towards socialistic teaching started with a state level, a Richmond-based requirement for the so-called cultural competency training. Is that right? Is yeah. That, I mean, okay. it, when you put these things in policy, they have impact in people's real lives, in the actual classrooms of their kids. And I, I think sometimes those things can be removed. Oh, it's just a bill going through the General Assembly. No, no, no. That has real impact on your kid's classroom. And mom's figured that out and didn't just figure it out in a we have to correct the bad policies they figured it out as you got to have the right people to correct the bad policies so they actually went out and voted for candidates that stood for the kinds of things that they believed in now another thing when you are saying you know we ginned up the parents what does that mean is happening on the ground you know when when we ginned up the parents what do you mean was happening exactly well i mean in real detail level it's essentially we looked at where is a county where we could actually make some strides and found parents in there that were sympathetic to the cause but equipped them gave them talking points gave them this is a good message to bring to your school board we worked with school board members and told them here's you know here's a way that you can this is why you can stand up to this policy so then when we'd send our team out to an area when they were having a school board meeting. We'd meet with the parents ahead of time so they had a good unified message because the wrong messages sometimes mess up what you're trying to do. And people don't realize that. But if you're not on a unified message, it undermines what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's not that they intend to, but it just confuses the the board and then you don't get the outcome you want. So there was a lot of trying to kind of get a unified message, and then also setting up a press conference, inviting in the local media to, to pay attention to what was happening so that even if a parent wasn't at this school board meeting, they might be at the next one because they heard about it in the news. And there were all of these things required multiple rounds of school board meetings. And so our team back and forth, you know, <laughs> right. from Richmond to wherever. And as someone that worked on that campaign, that was called our Protect Every Kid initiative. Um, we really saw it working both ways where, you know, once it got rolling, we had parents coming to us as well. And then we were getting requests coming in from all over. We couldn't even handle all the requests coming in from parents. Yeah, so it, it, it mean, was it like was, the snowball. It was. There were things we intentionally did, and there were th- and there were parents figuring this out in all sorts of localities contacting us. And then we can't ignore the impact of we also had a team all over the state in churches. So you'd go into the same kind of community, and you're speaking to a church, and you're telling them what's going on at a school board. And so then you're fueling more parents to engage. What are your most important takeaways or the takeaways you would want people to have from that going into this new year? I think the whole nation realizes now that these issues that are closest to the home, that happen in your local public school, are really important in, in elections. And I, the takeaway I would have is that people need to be very on top of what's happening. And I tell candidates, you ought to be, you ought to be all over issues of the family specifically down to that local level, not just these overarching principles up high, um, but really in the in the details of what matters to moms. Yeah, I love it. I think that politicians are going to be afraid to ignore the parents moving forward. So that's a good outcome. And I think we're going to see a lot more attention on school board elections, too. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. 
If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's jump into the look ahead or flash forward portion. And we've been mentioning in almost all of our shows what some of our priorities are for policy, especially this coming General Assembly, which, by the way, starts on January 12th. And, you know, we've talked about our plans to push for things like education savings accounts and expanding parental rights. But I wanted to try and highlight a few of the other important things today. Let's just start off with what's being called the Save Girls Sports Legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're excited to see that that we're going to have this moving forward in Virginia. Um, this is so we've heard us talk a lot about the transgender issues, but mostly we've been talking about them in terms of bathrooms, private spaces, things like that. But now uh, we really need to focus in on what's going on in the sports world um, because we we haven't really talked about how much this affects girls' sports. Um, so when you have biological boys playing on a girls' sports team. It impacts a girl's opportunity. That's the bottom line. It impacts their ability. Um, and as a mom of a girl athlete, I I, I watch this. I, I, I sit there and think, I can't imagine I was an athlete. I can't imagine if I had to play my sports against a guy. And I, I watched my daughter one time go into a travel volleyball situation. And thankfully, we, there's like a million teams there and you don't play them all. But I watched a team that had a boy who was six foot five playing. And this was a year ago. So could have been playing my you know ninth grade girl. And I sat there and thought, Imagine the power. I've watched boys volleyball and I've watched girls volleyball. The power is not the same. And when you have height and it's a height game, it's a whole different ballpark. And so thankfully we didn't have to play that team, but somebody did. Somebody's girl was impacted by that. And Victoria, that was what you're describing was a a boy that was identifying as a girl? 100% biological boy, but presumably, yes, believed he was a girl and that's why he was on the team. And you want to have compassion for these kids struggling with their gender. But at the same time, I mean, just common sense, it doesn't seem like the safest physical arrangement for every player on that team, right? No, and it depends on the sport how significant the the difference is, but some of them it can be out and out dangerous. Yeah. You know, when I used to work at Focus on the Family, uh, one of my colleagues had a young uh, boy that a girl girl that was identifying uh, as a boy was starting to wrestle on their team. Yeah. And he... Um, asked for an exemption from wrestling because he had ethics against as a man wrestling against a woman. And I just really admired that young man taking that stance. But boy, that that was a really brave thing for him to do to take with his high school. And we're seeing that play out more and more. And another good example of that is happening right now at the University of Pennsylvania, where you had this biological male, again, identifying as a woman, like you described, but they were competing in a women's swimming event. And just wiped out the competition. I mean, setting all kinds of national and Ivy League records. Uh, I think in one of the races, this swimmer was a full 38 seconds ahead of second place. And my understanding is that that's really a wipeout in swimming competitions. Let's just listen in for a minute to this excellent commentary from Clay Travis, who has a show called Outkick. This is him speaking on Fox News. And the bigger issue here is it threatens to destroy all of women's sports. All right, men... This is not sexism, this is biology, are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. That is why we separate men's and women's athletics. So if you are going to allow highly trained and highly skilled men to decide to compete against women, the women are not going to win, and this is a monster issue that threatens to become major for many other sports as well. 
Yeah, I just completely agree with the fact that if this continues to be unchecked and boys can just join girls' sports, we're gonna it's going to destroy what is women's sports. Everything that we know of today will not be the same because boys, biological boys, will continue to beat girls. I mean, this is – a lot of folks first heard about this issue because there's a case up in Connecticut where this happened in track. And you can imagine in track how significant it can also be where you have girls and they basically began – this one girl in particular basically began losing her championships because a boy started running against her in all of her state championships. And there's actually a, a lawsuit. Thank heavens she's willing to go to court to defend her ability to still run her race. And that's just working through the court so it will be a while till we know the outcome but it's people like that deserve to be able they've been training in their sport for forever and along comes a boy and it just wipes everything out that they've accomplished yeah that girl you're talking about she actually had an op-ed in a national paper and this one statement she made really stuck out to me i'm just going to quote from it really quick she says quote it tells me that i'm not good enough that my body isn't good enough and no matter how hard i work i am unlikely to succeed because i'm a woman Imagine how demotivating that would be to train if you know that you physically can't get to where your competitor would be no matter what you did. I think that's horrible. And I think a lot of girls will end up bailing out, that we'll actually lose participation in sports, which, by the way, they link participation in sports to better academics, better whole living, better mental health. And we're going to have girls that kind of go, why would I bother? And that girl would have had college scholarships. I mean, this isn't this is this is actually monetary, too, which we will forget. That's what's so ironic about it is we spent decades supposedly fighting for equal rights for women. And now in the name of equal rights, we're going to basically wipe out all of those gains. So, And I do think that's why you do find some feminists that are right. secular and pretty much not with us on any other issue. But on this one, they seem to really understand that this is what they were fighting for in the first place. And the, the, the progressive feminist movement has lost its way allowing this yeah. to happen. There were radical feminists at the Loudoun rally speaking up on this issue. So yeah, it's very fascinating. I think that's consistent with feminism. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the good news is we do have plans in the works to address this problem proactively here in Virginia to protect girls' sports in school. Tell us about that legislation that we're looking at. Yeah, we're going to have a bill introduced this session that would save girls' sports is what we call it. But basically, it would ensure that only biological girls can play in girls' sports. And it's a simple way to make sure that girls actually get a chance to compete in their own sport on a level playing field. It's it's all about protecting opportunities for these girls to get their scholarships, um, to, to be able to um, find wins in their sport. Um, the, the truth is, if we're going to follow the science, if we're going to be honest about what science says, females simply cannot have fair competition against inherently physiological and scientifically proven advantages that males happen to have. Um, you know, uh, you simple things. You always hear people talk about, you know, Women are stronger typically in their legs. Men are stronger typically in their arms. That's going to change the way you compete in sports. There's all sorts of things that put them on a totally different uh, level, whether it's cardiovascular capacity. They've seen that. Bone density. There are all sorts of very actual scientific things that separate men and women. Even if we want to pretend in our minds that's not true, it is, and it plays out on the sports field. Right. In addition to follow the science and just plain common sense. It, it just seems like we have lost common sense in yet another area in our culture. But Victoria, what do you want to do? Um, how do you want to encourage people if they want to get behind this legislation? What can they do right now? 
Yeah, the big thing is that they need to be connected to our email alert system so that at the moment the bill is actually introduced and it's moving forward, they can engage with legislators that are going to be voting on it. But ahead of time, they can always talk to their own legislators, right? So they can have an advanced conversation with their delegate and their senator about the Save Girls Sports Bill. That's what I would call it. Don't worry about bill numbers. Don't worry about those kind of things yet. Um, but but go ahead and start having those conversations to say, look, this is really important to me and my family. Um, I want my girls to be on fair footing. Absolutely. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! All right, well, in keeping with the general time travel theme today, we are doing something unique for our Inconceivable segment. We decided to make some inconceivable predictions. Victoria, let's start with you. What liberal inconceivable moments do you predict for 2022 and beyond? Oh, yeah, that's um, that's a fun one to think about. I, actually not. But um, I was thinking about how they don't like us with defining genders. And where is that going to go in the future? And I was actually thinking about how the hospital is the first place we define gender, right? We, you know, we have our baby and then they go in these little, you know, those knit pink and blue little hats that we put on the baby. I feel like that's going to get wiped out. That has to go because it's not... First of all, they don't really think parents should be picking genders anymore, right? right. So, so that's a problem. And then imagine these little babies that don't have a pink or a blue. They're going to feel bad about themselves on day one because there's a pink baby next to them and a blue baby and they don't have a hat or maybe they have a yellow yeah. hat. So I just feel like we're going to that, – that adorable little tradition is going to be out the door. Yeah, that's adults, you know, assigning gender right there with the little hat. But yeah, that's really sh- sad to think about. But I think you're right. We might lose those cute little hats. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you think? What's, where are we going from here on your mind? Yeah, I was just trying to think through what some of our biggest inconceivable moments were from the past year, and this transgender push was definitely part of that, but you covered that. But we also saw the cancel culture coming into this and creating a lot of absurdity, you know, with things like the Muppets and our constitutional historical documents having trigger warnings. So I thought, okay, where's that going to go? My first thought was, I know the president of the United States will be canceled. Then, oh, wait, that happened. (laughs) So what's really left at this point? And that's why I'm going to predict that we are eventually going to see, sadly, the Bible canceled from mainstream platforms like Amazon, Apple, school libraries, you name it. I mean, they're already going after biblical principles. When people write about um, biblical sexuality, they're erasing those. So, you know, what's going to prevent them from going after the actual source, the Bible? That's interesting that you said that because one of the things I was thinking of is 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 you go back and this is... This actually happened, but I, I think it could go even further. Remember when the sermons were requested from the mayor of Houston, requested pastor sermons be turned in? I'm telling you, yeah. when I heard that, I literally think, and that was about homosexuality, same issue. Mm-hmm. And I was literally thinking like, so they're going to, you know, when does that actually become a thing? Because I could totally see that because it's hate speech in the minds of a lot of people if you talk about homosexuality from the pulpit. But then also membership lists, right? When we talk about cancel, like you you match a, I'm going to grab your sermon and oh, here's your membership list. These people are bigots from having to be part of your, to mm-hmm. dare listen to that sermon. I just think they connect those dots and government's getting more controlling. I'm just a little nervous about the day that they pay attention to what's being preached on Sunday and where we all attend our worship. 
absolutely excellent prediction because we already see that playing out in Canada where they have set up legislation as we speak that makes it possible to go after pastors and uh, possibly jail them for helping people that want to overcome homosexuality. So yeah, unless things change, I definitely think that's a place we're heading. All right, people, that's the brave new world we could be looking at if God doesn't have mercy on our country and redeem us soon. Well, that wraps up this week's show. If you'd like to send us your inconceivable predictions, email us at speakupradio at familyfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.